if you want to learn about AI, ask ChatGPT or Bard or Bing or go to IBM and have a look at their AI Academy. There are things out there that will teach you the basics. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, it's part one on AI. We're going to discuss AI in marketing and Next, after that, we'll discuss AI and human resources. But joining me today is Ivan Pollard, Center Leader of the Marketing and Communications Center at the Conference Board. Welcome, Ivan. Thank you for having me, Steve. Yeah, and you know, Ivan, you are a, an expert in marketing, of course, uh, well-regarded uh, globally. Uh, you were the SVP of Strategic Marketing at Coke, CMO at General Mills. Now you're running the Marketing Communications Center, which is for all CMOs and, and Chief Communications Officers, but you also are an expert in AI. And so I think you know, you're perfect to talk to us about uh, what's going on these days. You know, but you know what, you can't, Ivan, you can't pick up a, a, a magazine or a newspaper and read anything about AI without you know, under, trying to understand what is AI and what are the definitions. But, there's no commonality in this. Everybody's got their own set of lingo, don't they? Yes, they do, Steve. And I think, um, I mean, at your behest, we started to try and simplify a very simple definition of AI because it is very complex. As you said, I've been in marketing for a long time. So's AI. And everybody thinks it just happened last year, but it didn't. So marketing's been around a while. So let me give you our simplified definitions. AI, simply put, is just a branch of computer science dealing with the simulation of intelligent behavior in computers. So how do computers mimic what the human brain can do? Thought processing, problem solving, creation, But isn't that language. just software? It is, except it's software applied to data through algorithms that start to learn patterns and then can do things that the human can do. So if you went all the way back to 1950, Alan Turing, the father of AI as people call him, you know, he said, a machine will be called intelligent if it can do things that will be called human, were a human to so do that thing. You mean make mistakes? Well, that's what I always start <laughs> with. Here we are asking all these questions about artificial intelligence, and we don't ask about human intelligence. But that's the, uh, that's the notion of it. You know, how can a computer do what a human can do? Okay, but we've, you know, we've now standardized on our own uh, mm -hmm. explanations of the various branches. You know, let's just kind of run through the garden here. You've got... You've got AI, which is a branch of computer science, as you said. It's not hardware. It's, it is essentially software and, the, and then how it's applied. I, I, it, I think it all started with machine learning, didn't it? It did, which again goes back in time. But machine learning, how do you train a machine to use data and algorithms to make predictions or decisions? Yeah. Simple so, as that. So, so basically, it's, it's, it's using models it, it, you know, beyond punch cards, uh, the old IBM punch <laughs> cards. but but getting it to, to do root, routinized stuff, right? It can, it can routinize stuff, it can create stuff, it can imagine stuff, but most importantly, it can take any data set. Yeah. We think of that as language, for instance, or words, but it could be signals from, a, from your truck or a lorry or your supply chain or your customer service center. 
and it can spot patterns inside that. The algorithms can then turn those patterns into useful predictive models or assistive models. Yeah, so in the applications in, you know, in business or elsewhere is to, to make predictions, make decisions, just to enable all that. All right, so that's machine learning, that's sort of the basics. And then there's natural language processing, which is newer. What's that all about? So natural language processing is um, where we use machines to understand, interpret, and generate human language that is contextually relevant. And actually the work on that has been going on since the 50s. And you can go all the way back to Noam Chomsky and Marvin Minsky. But how do we, again, it's just patterns inside language and natural language processing. These two imagine machine learning plus natural language processing. They're the engines inside the new sexy cars that we all want to drive called AI. Okay. All right. So that's machine learning, natural language processing. Now the third thing that, that people talk about is autonomous AI. So one of the things, when we started with machine learning, we would teach the machine, we would ask it a question, it would give us an answer, we'd mark it, tell it whether it was right or wrong. Now we've taught them how to self-train, how they can learn themselves and become autonomous. So no human intervention, perform tasks without the human having to get involved or have direct control. Okay, and that's, so that's an application of machine mm -hmm. learning and natural language processing is to do you know, some level of autonomy, doing, doing tasks, as you say. Now, the, the big headlines, everything everybody's talking about is generative AI, and everything's generative AI, and generative AI is going to do this and this and this and this, but there, there's so much misapplication of that, that term. Generative AI is? So generative AI is just when we use a lot of the things we just talked about to, uh, to generate output that resembles human-created content like text, images, music, computer code, designs. It can generate a lot of things, but it's an application of machine learning, natural language processing, and deep neural networks. Which yeah, so, the, so you know, people say, well, it's generative AI is now the newest branch of AI that's going to take care over everything, and that's not accurate. It's, I think it's the easiest one to understand. It generates something, yeah. right? It, it, it writes music, it creates art, it creates an image, it writes um, content, written content, it can you know, write novels, edit things, and so forth. So that, that's what, that's what generates, it's something that is generate content that's generated, yeah. which is different than other forms. Yeah, so like a predictive, you could argue, a predictive analytics model from the big data that we talked about 10 years ago is still a generation, but actually it's not an, a tangible output, it's a set of algorithmic uh, predictions. Generative AI, you would argue, is, is based on the same technology and the same algorithms, but it produces something that's tangible. It produces, it generates something. All right, the last form is something which we're not there yet and everybody fears, and that's sentient AI. Yeah, so this is, we've all seen the films. This is when um, you know uh, machines will be able to think but also to feel and perceive the physical world in the same way a human does. Well, that'll be beyond human then, because a lot of people can't think and they don't feel. Uh, I'm being silly, but you know, sentience means that they're basically alive. Yeah. Uh, you know, alive from a, a thinking standpoint. And you know, all the movies are there, but that's not here yet. It's not. People are experimenting with some forms of that, how you can train a machine to recognize signals, for instance, from a human being. So if you are playing a video game and it can tell whether or not you are angry, frustrated, excited, happy, nervous, it can read signals and machines and then it can mimic them. They're starting to develop things that recognize the tone of voice. I'm happy, 
I am happy. Same words, different sentient emotions, and it will detect, for instance, in a customer service module, how to react to that. Yeah. So then, you know, you've got the whole robot world, which is kind of weird, but, you know, we think of robots doing a lot of things, but it's, we think of, you know, in the, in the best films, the robots are always sentient, you know, mm -hmm. you just think of Star Wars and all of that, but, um, but robots really are very simple machines that are, are programmed with some form, you know, machine learning or something, they're doing a, a task over and over again, like building a car, doing mm. a weld, you know, vacuuming. You know, the, these are the these are what robots are doing today. And until you get to some level of sentience, you, it's hard to go beyond that. I agree. Um, so you know, we see films like Megan now, or her. Um, you can go back a little bit and see iRobot. Um, this notion, even all the way back to the Terminator, that they make decisions of their own volition and can do that applied to a whole variety of tasks. This was what transformer models did to machine learning. Machine learning originally started as train a machine to do a task. Now these large language foundation models train a machine to do many tasks or be applied to multiple tasks uh, through some sort of interface. I think we are quite a long way yet. Um, I was just talking to a leader of a healthcare company and asked that very question. Uh, inside his organization, he trains the doctors to, with empathy training. And I asked, how far away are we from having empathetic AI assistance? And he went, yeah, that could happen well, if, if it's filling in doctors, the form. It's never I mean, never I think my doctor is a robot. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, they talk about robots for surgery. They said, oh, you know, we've yeah. got this great thing. You know, it'll, you know, this robot will open up your brain and do brain surgery. And it's like, what? You know, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, we don't want that, do we? So the, the chap at, uh, at the healthcare company said that. He said, even if we could train them, you then have to train the human being to trust them enough to let them do it. Um, right. But we're a way away from right. it. Right, I was uh, I was being a little provocative. All right, so let's go, let's turn uh, more uh, specifically to marketing. How has machine learning then been used in marketing over time, and what's what's the best use today? Uh, so machine learning, as I said, ten years ago we talked about big data. That was what it is. So machine learning in marketing has been used to interpret huge data sets the target market, the competition, the context within which you're operating, pricing, whatever, and allow you to model or predict outcomes. So that was kind of where it started. Take it forward a little bit and it's now starting to get applied to um, you know, pricing and innovation, product technology, uh, and, and, and starting to see patterns in data, um, how we prepare for the pandemic or a recession and what should a company do with its products and services, and how does marketing help them position it? Okay, so that's machine learning. Okay, so let's go to natural language processing. That's probably more, um, more used by marketing than a lot of other functions. It is, and uh, we can talk a little about some of our survey data is saying, okay, how much of this is getting used. Um, it was first started to be used in sentiment analysis in social media, so we started to see what words were associated with what feelings about a brand or a moment or a person or an influencer and we're able to start predicting things like net promoter scores and stuff um, then you know obviously it went uh, the social media then turned from that to chatbots and us being able to interact from a text point of view 
you type in your question to the service agent, it comes back to you and says it's called Philip and um, probably isn't, it's just a machine. Um, now we're starting to use that in generating uh, content from prompts. So the idea that you don't have to code a computer anymore, you can say, please give me a picture of a cat on a beach playing football and it will do it. So it's an interaction tool. Yeah. Um, and then autonomous AI, how is that being used? So obvious example, recommendation engines, for instance. You go in any e-commerce site, it sees what you've bought, it correlates that to what other people like you have bought and then suggests the three things that you should buy next. Okay, so if you're buying a toothbrush, then maybe you need some toothpaste and some dental floss and it recommends adjacencies, yeah? Yeah, it does, but what it spots that we perhaps wouldn't have spotted, it's also going to recommend you an aeroplane ticket to Honduras. Why? Because a lot of people who just bought a new toothbrush are ready to go packing with to Honduras. Maybe that's a pattern that we wouldn't see. Oh but maybe, word. maybe you need a new toothbrush to travel through those lovely lush lands. I, you know, this is uh, making me think here. Okay, um, then you have generative AI, and generative AI has been a boon for marketers. It has. So um, in our latest survey, uh, we found that 62% of senior marketers are using AI tools, um, especially generative ones, in their daily work. 82% of, of junior marketers are already using it. And what they're using it most for, 83% of say the biggest thing we use it for is productivity, getting stuff done faster. But what is the stuff? The stuff is getting started, it's not getting finished background, drafting, summarizing content. It's not the finished ad. But this is where, you know, so everybody says, well, generative AI is going to destroy jobs. And particularly in marketing, they're going to say, well, we don't need marketing people because all we do is we just turn it over and ChatGPT will do everything that a marketer can do. Yeah, I think that in some parts it won't do everything, but it can do all the things that some parts of a marketing job needs to do. But boy, at the moment, if you don't have a human being on the last end, it's like, setting the machine off to run the 1500 meters and not noticing it's gone off the track. Yeah, but the point here is that it's a great productivity tool. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you've done examples where you've created pack designs mm -hmm. that you know, were worthy of you know, million dollar projects that uh, were beautiful all through, um, all through the use of generative AI because it it, you plugged in parameters and it, I mean, so speed, cost, everything gets lowered, and so it's a productivity tool. Without doubt, like I said, 83% say that's kind of what they're expecting, and when, uh, when we actually ask, well, what do you mean by productivity? Getting stuff done faster, 80%. Getting started on a new project, 56% of people said that. Understanding and researching topics faster, 52%. All of this is getting started. I think the thing, Steve, is even when we use DALI 3 was what I was playing with the other day, you can get concepts very quickly, but to go from concept to get to the finished article where you can you can really go, no, that's that's it. That what we used to call the tissue stage, I get a tissue meeting going. It would take a month and like you say, a million dollars briefing an agency and stuff. Now you can do it in 15 seconds for free on Bing. And you can go, interesting, let's pick the third route. Now let's use that to brief an agency reduces the cost, increases the productivity. The one thing that I think people are, are wondering about, how does it allow for differentiation in the marketplace? And that's where you need a little bit of human touch still to come in. Well, so marketers may become AI wranglers, you know, all these tools yeah. and just, yeah, you know, sorting it.
So one of the, in a, another group meeting with our, our members, um, people started talking about the communications function and the storytelling function. What they were looking for is communications engineers, not storytellers, not writers, not editors. And again, in some work that the conference board has done, you'll see writing, editing, uh, content creation of the, of the job disciplines most at risk of being changed by AI. We're discussing AI and marketing, and uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the Conference Board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odland from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Ivan Pollard, the center leader of the Marketing and Communications Center at the Conference Board. Okay, so Ivan, we're not really to the sentient AI stage yet. We were talking about that before the break, but how can you envision it being used someday in marketing? Well, um, do you remember I said sentient? It'd be able to read emotions, and if you are a face-to-face -face salesperson, you are really good at doing that and you can close the sale better in person than you can remotely. Having said that, if you want to sell at scale, you can't get a, an in-person meeting with everybody, but AI probably could do that. Maybe the best example I could think of for you, Steve, is actually from 1996, which if you remember the film Minority Report, Tom Cruise, uh, Spielberg got some futurists to tell him what happens. In this movie, Tom Cruise is under pressure and he's running past a billboard that says, John Anderton, it looks to me like you need a Guinness right now. And up comes a picture of Guinness. Those of you listening, if you haven't seen that, go Google it now and, and, and YouTube it. But that's what's going to happen. Personalized, in the moment, reading exactly what it is that you are doing, and then finding a way of talking to you in a voice that you are more likely to respond to. And by the way, all fed by back-end data that works out the effectiveness of this, and then they try a different voice with Tom Cruise later on. I talk to Tom Cruise, he ignores me. AI, sentient AI, he might actually buy a Guinness. Wow, this could replace children. They could actually, it actually listens to you. That's a, that, so, it, you know, it, and it's a scary thing, you know, if, if you truly, because all these pictures, you know, have sentient AI taking over the world and, and creating some, uh, you know, some, some bad futures, but, uh, but I, th I think, you know, when we get there at some point, it's going to be simple stuff, isn't it? I think it is. I think, um, you know, the things that you're going to have to, to think about in the future, the watch outs, if you like, are kind of like, okay, how much do I, remember you said trust. That's so important. If you're a marketer, you, you can take years to build trust and you can lose it in a moment. So trust is going to be important, which means the risks for this is, is that data right? Is it biased? Is it fair? Is it accurate? Can I react to it? Is it mine? Because you know the risk of, of you generate a piece of packaging off a, a DALI thing like we did the other day. 
who did it copy? Who did it learn from? And is it, is it unique? And by the way, can I then copyright it? So these are the risks for marketers. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because it, it's, um, you know, you don't know whose trademarks you're trotting on, what IP you're, you're using. You don't know um, any of that. So, so there's, there's, and then, you know, obviously in HR there are other issues, but you, you really do need to govern this. And yeah. You can't just use, you, you know, you've got to use it as a tool like you would use any other tool. I mean, think about, I think it, you go back to be, before there were PCs, you know, we had a pencil and a piece of paper and, you, you know, you wrote something down. Now you have a PC and you type it and, you know, you use, you know, you, you don't use books and encyclopedia, you just Google it. I mean, there, it's just a tool and it's a faster tool, but it's still tool. It's a faster tool, it's a bigger tool, it's a better tool. Um, but having said that, you're right, Steve. What it takes is a human to still create something. We could all create the same thing, and I don't know who it belongs to, but when you create something unique without human touch, you're using, you're using the chisel to make a piece of beautiful sculpture. The sculpture belongs to you, the chisel, anybody can use. And, and what about on websites? Because, you know, a lot of, a lot of or, or apps, you know, a lot of interaction is electronic, everything's going digital, um, everything's going mobile. How is AI used there? So it's been used for a long time, you know. By the way, you talk to Siri or Alexa or ask Google to search something. Yeah, they won't talk to me. But, well, they probably recognize you, which is how AI, they know, <laughs> they know that when you give the answer, you've probably got a better one, Steve, and you will question them. So um, AI will recognize people and, uh, you know, voice interaction is one of the best examples of it. But by the way, AI is actually built into the algorithms for all search engines and all programmatic advertising buying and stuff. But where, it's, where we could use it is we're developing our own, if you're a marketer, you're developing your website, you're developing your app. Personalization at scale will become economically affordable. So how do I make sure that your experience of the app is suited to best serve you and delight you? Whereas her experience over here, she might want something completely different not the thing, not the product, not the outcome, but the way the experience is served up. So personalization is going to be one thing. That personalization is going to get down to search and understanding you, your past behavior, and the, and the matching, like I said earlier on, about matching your behavior to other people like you. So it should make it faster. It should make it more rewarding. It should make it more useful. And if we get it right as marketers, it should make it cheaper. Yeah, you know, other places is search. You know, it, there's sort of dumb search where you put a word in and you get a billion results. Well, that that isn't very useful. That changed a lot. I mean, you know, I think of ChatGPT as a really good search engine. Yeah, and um, it doesn't just search for you. It creates what we used to do by hand. I'd look at seven different search results, read them, put something together, yeah. send it to you. You'd then go, yeah, this is a better way of thinking about it, and we do it now. ChatGPT sends it to you, you get GPT to read it, it sends it back to me, and then we have a much better conversation. Well, that's, you know, it, you, you're doing search, you know, not because you're collecting data necessarily, but you're trying to answer a question. Yeah. Or, so this just answers a question in a format that's more like human speech. Exactly so, the point of natural language processing, you know. Exactly the point. I can so, talk to it as a human, it talks back and communicates in a human-like way. And then on all these commercial websites, you now have pop-ups, as you said, you know, I'm yeah. William or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Caitlin and, you know, how can I help you? They're, they're just chatbots, they're not real. But it's, it's an advanced form of interaction. 
Yeah, and that's one of the biggest uses in marketing, uh, acceleration, customer service, uh, that I think we're going to see in the next 24 months really get better. So at the bottom end, those chatbots, I imagine self-service they are. I ask it, it's more likely to understand what I ask and it's more likely to give me a good response. Take it up, all those call centers now having an, uh, an AI assistant that helps them answer in human terms but does exactly what you said, it gives them a much better answer and much better information, not just about the company, but about what this particular customer wants from them. You know, I had a, I had a, a good experience the other day uh, using a chatbot um, on a website. It was a customer service issue, the, um, which I, I haven't experienced before. When I typed the question in, the, this, the chatbot came up and instead of pretending it was a human, it said, I'm a chatbot, yeah. and I have, you know, I have a limited range of answers. Bear with me. Let's see if we can answer your question this way. We went through it, and, and, and when it got to the end, it said, "Aha! Um, I've, I've answered what I what I can. Now I'm going to turn you over to a real person, mm. and because you're asking now uh, something that's beyond, you know, what I have." I thought that was really. It was like um, it was a really humble chatbot, mm. <laughs> and I I liked that experience because. Um, because then, I, you know, I was sympathetic to the to the chatbot and its limitations. And the best thing about it, transparency. Yes. And because it was honest, you trusted it a little bit more, and you gave it a little bit more leeway. As people accelerate all of the things, you know, we're raising the bar every day for those in customer experience and customer service. That's the challenge, you know, because if it, a factoid I heard the other day. 81% of consumers who have a bad customer experience when they have a, had a bad brand experience or product experience will consider another brand. Yeah, and you don't want that to happen if you're a marketer. Where should marketers turn to advice on this thing? You know, marketers are supposed to be the experts on AI and all this stuff, but you know, we weren't born knowing this stuff. Where can they turn to, uh, you know, without going to your boss and saying, you know, I really don't know anything about AI. Um, how can they get smart on this? Well. Obviously the conference board does a lot around this. We've got a hub, you can come to us, we've got experts inside, and we've got, we've got of course, the massive power of the conference board. Our network of members who are tackling exactly the same issues as everybody else is, but from a different perspective. So locking into them is good. There is also another way, which is very easy. If you want to learn about AI, ask ChatGPT or Bard or Bing or go to IBM and have a look at their AI Academy. There are things out there that will teach you the basics. Here's where I think the big difference is coming, Steve, is like I said, that, you know, things like machine learning, do you need to know stuff about convolutional neural networks or uh, transformer models? No. They're the engine. What you do need to know is how to drive. What can I ask it to do? What can I trust it to do to get me there safely? How do I drive so I don't endanger others? And by the way, what are the best cars on the market for me that are going to get me there properly? Yeah, so you don't need, it's, it's like you don't need to know how to program ones and zeros anymore. You just need to know how to use the app. And yeah. uh, it's a similar thing here. One more thing um, it, it, before I end our conversation, and that's, that's you know the whole regulatory thing. This is sort of the wild, wild west of uh, y you know of, of what's going on here, and there's 60 different countries who are thinking, trying to think through regulatory frameworks. What are some of the common controls that are uh, either being put into place or being thought of, and how should that, how should marketers think about that? So um, you're right. This is moving incredibly quickly. Uh, remember the internet. 
it was a big thing, took seven years to get to 100 million users. ChatGPT got to that in two months. So if you do the math and you can remember your high school physics, that's why this has got 1,764 times the energy behind it, AI, and is, is therefore making the regulators react than the internet. So what are the regulators going to have to do? They're going to have to make sure that this is protecting people's privacy, that it's compliant with best practice to look after humanity, that it is uh, mitigating for um, errors hallucinations as they call them inside the data sets and the data models remember if these things are self-trained we don't know how they arrive at the conclusion that when you you ask hey chat gpt is ivan pollard actually a good iron man and it gives you a false answer and says i won the world title you don't know whether it's true or whether it's not and how it arrived there so truth transparency fairness they're going to uh, modify and then as we touched on for a marketer um, ownership of ideas and innovations and where did they come from and how much can you assert your ownership IP, over them? Yeah. IP. Yeah, there's, there's still that little concept in some, some areas of the world. Yeah, it may disappear very quickly. Yeah, it's, well, you know, it, it, it is an interesting, you know, concept to who owns ideas, you know. Yeah. I think we could probably say if we applied the same regulation to human intelligence and human creativity as we're now asking ourselves to apply to the machine stuff, we may have had the same problem. Uh, you remember the Ed Sheeran case, Rem look what SAG-AFTRA are, are doing with fake uh, identities and, uh, and deep fakes. So humans unconsciously, unknowingly and unsurprisingly do tend to channel other people's ideas but still create new things from them, especially when they combine two things. Hey, what if I put an engine on this this hang glider? Could I make an aeroplane? Yeah, yeah so uh, more to come on this. Ivan Pollard, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Tune in tomorrow for part two of our two-part series on AI, where we'll be focused on how AI is being used in human resources. Please share CEO perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with every chatbot you know. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.